I just want to tell you, um, I won't tell this to the 1030 service, you're my people. Um, you know, early service, I'm a morning person. I, I'm just really, really glad you're here. Um, even if you're not a morning person, you're getting it over with, right? Um, you told somebody you would come to church with them. Or you would go to church, Mom, and so I don't know if some of you need evidence that you were at church today, but you can take a picture of me now or a selfie with me. Mom, I went to church today. Um, no, I really, I, I'm just glad you came. Your spare, some of you came because we're a little, uh, probably, we hope, overloaded in the 1030 service, and so thank you for the sacrifice. You guys are, are my kind of people. Um, if you wore something uncomfortable today and it's appropriate, you can untuck it or kick them off. If you wore shoes, you know, like Easter, we got to go a little extra for whatever reason. Um, just be my guest. Nobody look around, but like if you need to tug something um, or kick something off, that is fine. Um, so we're going to look surprise at the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the scripture. In Luke chapter 24, we read that the, um, the disciples here, the 11, they hear about the resurrection from some, some women who had gone to the tomb. I don't know what their thoughts were entirely. They're going to tell these Roman soldiers, hey, we got to get in there and anoint the body of Jesus with some spices or something. I'm not exactly sure how they thought all of that was going to happen because they even talked as we have recorded on the way. Like, who's going to roll away the stone to do this? Well, they go, they not only find an empty tomb, they not only see angels, but Mary Magdalene sees Jesus. And so they're told, go back, tell, tell everybody else. And so they go back and tell the 11. And it says in verse 11, their words seem to them, this is Luke 24, their words seem to them as idle tales and they believed them not. Idle tales, it's the only time that word's used in the Greek New Testament, it roughly equivalates to fairy tales. And that's what it sounded like to them, and honestly, that's what some, some of you maybe in the room this morning feel like, that this sounds like a fairy tale. This is obviously something that many people in our world have adopted as this thought. I mean, Jesus, good teacher and whatever, but this whole resurrection thing sounds like a fairy tale. That's a very biblical response. A very biblical response. And these women had shared in the best way that they knew how. I have seen the Lord. He is risen. They have a supernatural encounter. And so they're trying to put this experience into words. Yet the reaction of the guys is, that sounds like, is, what are you saying? That just doesn't compute. And that's how it is for those of us who have met Jesus to try to share with us. We're doing our absolute best. And I want to do my absolute best for you this morning in sharing from the word of God. But, but truly, until you go for yourself to meet Jesus, until you go and investigate, is he risen or not? There's really nothing I can do to, I mean, they, they've got a hole in the wall outside of Jerusalem. They say, this was Jesus' tomb. I don't really know, right? Like, this is, this is, we could just point out a hole. That doesn't mean that he is alive. You got to go figure it out. Two of the guys who hear this from the women on Easter morning, that first Easter morning, they, they run, Peter and John. They run to the tomb if you know, we've got a lot of Easter customs. One thing we should probably have is like a 5K. You know, if we were to go 
biblical. You know, he's got to let the guy named John win for, you know, whoever wins, they get, they're called John. Because that's, John's gospel really doesn't seem to matter, but he wrote this gospel. He says, I got there first. <laughs> Peter's like, who's going to ever know that he got there first? John's like, everybody will know. When I get a book deal, everybody will know. Have you ran to the tomb to find out for yourself? Peter and John go, and Peter looks around, but John believes right away. So every Easter, I'm nervous about preaching. Um, not because there's necessarily a big gathering, um, but this topic is so fundamental the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without it, we worship a very good, but a very dead teacher. And so there's been various ways I've set out in Easter sermons in the past to prove, um, sorry for the internal uh, blur of my dialogue that goes on in my head, but just a a picture. I've I've set out in various ways to kind of just like, how do you prove the reliability of the scriptural accounts? I mean, so so you want to go to history and say, like, let's prove this. I can't show you the alive body of Jesus. He chose to roll away a stone, not even a big stone. He could have have been buried in one of the pyramids, split it in half, and and it could have sat there for millennia, and, and we could have guarded it and say, see, he came out of this thing. He chose one stone, a borrowed tomb. We're not even totally sure which one. He showed himself to around 500 people over a period of 40 days. Pretty good, but still that's a long time ago. How do we know in the year 2022 that that's that's how it goes? But Jesus says this was the best way. Made no mistake, this is the best. that, That I would go, no longer walking around in a body, but that he would give us his spirit, the personal indwelling of God in people who would believe. This presence is what has shaken history, what eventually overtook the powers that crucified Jesus. I I put powers in quotes, I hope because I know how to use air quotes, because they're temporary in their power. Jesus would totally redefine what power looks like. And so, really, the transformative presence of spirit-filled Christians has been a part of advancing the cause of the marginalized, bandaging the wounds of those hurting throughout history. Many Christians have died as martyrs. They've died persecuted. Many died serving the sick or defying those in, in power. And that's all great, but if we didn't have the history books, how do you know he rose from the dead? Those of you who call yourselves Christians, how do you know? Without giving somebody a book, here, Lee Strobel wrote The Case for Christ. Here, read this, buddy. How do you know that he's alive? My wife is at least 20 years old. That's as close as I want to tell you to her age. If you were to ask me if she was alive on July 16th, 2001, or some other random date in the last 20 years, I would have to testify yes. 
not because I know exactly where she was on that date, but because I know she's alive today. I'm afraid that many believers rest their relationship on Jesus with some point in history that is way too long ago. Maybe it is in the last 20 years, but it might not be in the last two. We serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. And you can know him today. Oh, I love when you guys say amen. I'm afraid that many believers, though, would try to prove their own faith. To have that certainty in your own heart, believer. Do you have it just because of what you have done? If so, I don't think you really get the good news. The good news is not an ethic of love God, love others. That's nice, and that's great moral education, but that's not the good news. I'm afraid many people would think that, that the good news is one of clan. I belong to a community. I belong to a church, and that is great. We have such a nice church family, right? But there's so much more to the good news than just earthly community. There's so much more to the good news than just eternity only. We sing about heaven and we look forward to heaven, but it's not just about such a great retirement plan. That's not the good news in its entirety. So much here and now. Friends, the good news is elemental to every atom in this universe, every second of every day. What I'm about to say is something you should also say amen to. It is mercy of the almighty God to the undeserving. This is the good news, that God sent his son into this world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. And whoever finds him finds life. Jesus, the innocent one, took sin He took our place and became the sacrifice for our sins. He took the sting out of death. It's not what we have done. It's not what you have done. It's not what I have done. It's what he has done. Can you say like Mary Magdalene did on that first Easter Sunday that we are remembering today? Can you say, I have seen the Lord? There's all sorts of traditional, you know, some of you did it the, this morning when, when Will came to the platform, he is risen. The old customary response to that is he is risen indeed. You'll forget by next Easter. But there is this tradition around Easter. But friends, Easter should be fresh. You should be able to say, I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. I don't care if I've never been to Jerusalem. I don't care you know, to make a pilgrimage there. That's, that's old dead religions. Many religions around the world have that sort of thing. And those are habits of man. But we can know that he is alive today. So I'm looking in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, two verses this morning. That was the introduction. Sorry. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We're going to look at the person of Christ, the power of Christ, 
in his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings and, and being pliable. That fourth one's a rough stretch to make it a P, but I'm trying. Because conforming to his likeness means that we're pliable. So these four Ps. First, the person of Christ. Paul says, follower of Christ, had seen, seen the resurrected Lord himself. He says, I want to know Christ. The word he uses for to know there isn't just like book knowledge, but to really know. An ongoing knowledge, a relationship. You know, there will be no more people in this room next Easter. Not that that's really the point anyway, but there will be no more people celebrating Easter next year just because we do a better job at sharing information about Jesus. If somebody wants to know something nowadays, they can know it. We always thought that information was the problem. If people had the right information, they would make good, you know, they make good choices. The internet has proved that is not true. It's not just information we need, it's a relationship. And Paul says, I don't want to just know this information, I want to know the person of Christ. And so he says all the stuff, if you look earlier in Philippians chapter 3, I feel like I've been trapped there a little bit the last few weeks. That's okay, I feel like the Lord's kind of trapping me there. All the stuff that you could imagine to take pride in, Paul says, I consider that a loss. I want to know Christ heard this phrase this week. I can't even tell you exactly where I heard it. It's called the um, sunk cost fallacy. It's this idea used by economists, psychologists, behavioral people, the sunk cost fallacy. Maybe you've heard it like this, spending good money after bad. Have you ever spent 150% of a car's value? You fix it. And then it breaks again and needs 150% of its value. You feel kind of obligated to spend a little bit more because you've already spent so much. That's this fallacy. I mean, we have to sink costs into things. There's expenses for doing stuff. But there's a fallacy attached when we think that because we have invested so heavily in the past, we should stay committed. It's interesting some of the examples that behavioral psychologists have used. You know, if you were to get uh, free tickets to a concert, and then the night that the concert was coming, you realize, I have an exam tomorrow. And the forecast is snowy, and driving there is going to be annoying. And you're not feeling great. So you're physically not well, it's going to be stressful. And you better not stay up too late. If you paid nothing for that ticket, odds are you're probably not going to go to that concert. But what they've found is if you've sunk a cost into it, let's say you paid 50 bucks for those concert tickets, you're not going to get it back by going. It's still a terrible idea to go. You're going to feel icky. But because you paid 50 bucks, you're going to make yourself miserable and go anyway. Does that make sense? We make irrational decisions. Some of you are so invested in some of your past sunk cost in things of this world that you keep after it. You know, it's easier to see in others. You see a friend who keeps dating some bonehead. And, And they say, well, we've got a lot of history 
And they break up again and again. And then you see them double down and move in together or get married. Sin doesn't make sense, my friends. Some of you have 19 years in a job you hate. But you won't leave it because you won't admit it as a loss. I want to tell you this morning that everything is a loss compared to knowing Jesus. Just write it off. If you need to, to do it on some accounting ledger because you're a nerd, then do it. Just realize everything is a loss. And it, it's a cost. It's, it, I mean, we get it that it's financial. We, in, this, in, in explaining this sort of uh, sunk cost fallacy, like financial loss is, is what the economists study, but those who look at behavior realize that there's a price to pay because you're invested. Friends, following Jesus has a cost. You have sunk time and energy and effort and attention into things that are rubbish compared to knowing him. And the fear of counting that as loss can prevent you from the truth, from seeing the truth, from knowing Christ. Knowing him is better than having accomplished all the right stuff. Knowing him is, is better than having the, the right qualifications. Knowing him is better than being famous. Knowing him is better than knowing yourself. Everybody's always caught up on that. Like, oh, we got to figure out who I am. Why don't you figure out who the creator is? Have a relationship with him. He might just tell you. He has told us. God who created you, who knows your true identity, doesn't need to get you to know. He doesn't need to get to know you more. You need to go get to know him more. So Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Just let me, before we move on from, from his person to knowing Christ as a person to power, let me say this. The resurrection always seems intensely personal. If you look at the, at the gospel accounts, Jesus gets intensely personal. Thomas Hey, buddy, I hear what's going on in rooms I'm not in. If you need to touch, touch. Mary, who was at the tomb, she didn't even recognize it's Jesus because he's not supposed to be alive. Dead bodies don't walk. When he says her name, when it becomes personal, Friends, that's when you'll start to see what the second, Paul says, the power of the resurrection. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Many Christians practice a hollowed out form of Christianity with no power. The scripture says, a form of godliness, but no power therein. Many churches are just like the Lions Club, except we don't have those really nice peppermints. You know, you've seen those things, 50 cents. Okay, I won't say that second service. I thought that was kind of funny. Many churches are just like that. You know, we have the forms. We have the worship services. We have a hierarchy. We have a structure. We even have a building, but it doesn't look like anybody believes in it at times. A form of godliness, but no power. Sadly, many churches exert power that looks a whole lot like the world's power. 
Some churches use money, titles, shame, intimidation, the, the oppression of, of, of women. To, it, it's the world's playbook of power. Let me just speak a little bit about women and the resurrection real quick. I can't help but note the vast majority of the people who hung around the cross of Christ and who were the first to the tomb seem to all have girl names. Ladies, you can get ready with an amen here if you like. Um, if people want to say that you should be silent in the church and, and not tell men anything or teach men anything, just whisper, Easter. Remember who got to say, I have seen the Lord first. Remember who got to say, he is risen First, there's no accidents in history, in his story. There's definitely no accidents on that first Easter Sunday. Steve Neff, in preaching about Palm Sunday last week, he said, if you will listen to the text, the word of God, rather than your, uh, fight it with your assumptions, you will find that Jesus is redefining what it means to be king. People don't die for kings in Jesus' kingdom. Kings die for people. That's not a different, that, that's not power used differently. It's a fundamentally different kind of power. It's resurrection power. Jesus confronts power. Remember, he's talking to Pilate just a few days before Easter Sunday. And he says, you would have no power more he doesn't use the word um, the, for power that Paul uses here. He says you would have no position except that I gave it to you. It's under my power. So we have to know the Savior. And Paul says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. Oh, the power of the resurrection, friends, is not that everything that you ever wish would not be broken would be fixed. That's misleading. There's brands of Christianity that go that way and, oh, sorry, sorry your, sorry your dad died. You must have prayed wrong. This, this gets said. I mean, yeah, we, many times God has, and he still today, heals the sick, moves mountains, reverses the irreversible, but the power of the resurrection that I think Paul speaks about and the power of the resurrection that's still alive today, as well as that other power, is that he has redeemed suffering. So the, the third P that Paul says, I, I want to participate in his sufferings or his passion. I want to know I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. He says, I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to fellowship with him. It's been my experience and probably yours that the people you really know are not the ones you laugh with. It's the ones you cry with. That's who you get to know. That's fellowship. That's real participation. 
Paul says, I want to participate in his sufferings. You know, the church of Christ, and I'll admit myself, I get too influenced by a short attention span, the next best thing, instant gratification, get easily bored. But if you want resurrection power, there has to be a death. There has to be suffering. If he's going to turn a grave into a garden, it had to be a grave first. Um, you have to suffer. If you're, if you're going to go with Jesus, it's a path of suffering. Not the same way as it used to be. I mean, First Peter chapter 4 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you as though something strange were happen happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. If you suffer should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For, here, listen to this church, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. We sang it quite well this morning. By your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. If you thought that we probably should have had a good Friday service, because I think we jump to Easter a little quick sometimes. As the Life Application Study Bible Commentary says on, on, on verse 11 here, we can't know the victory of the resurrection without personally applying the crucifixion. Like Jesus, who wept over the city of Jerusalem, we need to start longing for our friends, our, our, our city, our, our dorm, to know him we need to start suffer saying no to ourselves, saying, saying yes to others. We need to become reckless in compassion. Believers, you should be worrying your mother-in-law because you're sold out for the Lord and you're selling possessions not so you can upgrade them, but so you can give to those in need. Know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Finally, Paul says, becoming like him in his death conforming like, like how he died. Jesus, he died, one, one account says, well, all the gospel accounts says he was pretty quiet. He was not trying to fight back. The prophet foretold this as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. How he died... The conforming to that ought to be how we live. I've done a lot of funerals. Um, some of them for some rascals. Um, some for some, some wonderful Christian people. I won't tell you who's who, um, and that's not up to me. 
But you know, one thing I've never said at a great person's funeral is, wow, this person, they just were so good at winning arguments. A real saint, a real believer, they're not worried about justifying themselves with their words. If we're to conform to to his death, sometimes you're just going to lose and you're going to be okay with it. That's what it means to die to self, one of the things. To to die to self, to, to follow his example in death, means that you will bear injustice, that you will be humiliated. Martin Luther King Jr. um, wrote this. He said, To our most bitter opponents, we say, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We shall meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will, and we shall continue to love you. We cannot, in all good conscience, obey your unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. Throw us in jail, he says, and we shall still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children, and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead, and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom. But not only for ourselves, we shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process, and our victory will be a double victory. Is there any wonder that we haven't forgotten about this guy? Um, Not some neat ideas he came up with in Georgia, but the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is reading the same book that you are I believe was filled with the same spirit who's still alive today. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. (laughs) It's a song, a couple people have done it. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to know the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Well, I thought resurrection meant you weren't going to suffer. No, resurrection changes how you will suffer. And, and we conform to his likeness, conforming, becoming pliable and shaped so that we no longer are, are hoping like, and it's not the worst hope to hope that you die on some down feathered mattress somewhere with your friends and family gathered close and you just so nicely close your eyes. Albert Barnes, the uh, biblical commenter said, if, if that's the will of God, then great. But we should also feel if, God, feel, if God should order otherwise, that it would be an honor in the cause of the Redeemer to die amidst reproaches, to be led to the stake as the martyrs have been, or to die as our master did on a cross. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 says, This is a trustworthy saying, If we die with him, we'll also live with him. 
If we endure hardship, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. If you've been baptized, remember uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 11 that says, or verse 4, we were therefore buried with him. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. So then verse 11, or the the last section of these two verses, Paul says, and somehow to attain from the resurrection from the dead. Now, he's not saying somehow like, well, I hope if I do all this, then I'll be saved. Um, Don't know how. What it seems to point out is he's, He's unsure how his life's going to end. Is Christ going to return? Is he going to die a natural, die of natural causes? Is he going to die at an executioner's, um, you know, stake? He says somehow, though, and attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want to encourage you um, to count the cost. And, and, and I guess one of the thoughts, the lines of thought, and it's very simplistic, is, is to ask the question, so then what? So if, if, if counting the cost to follow Jesus means giving up your, your job, go, well, I, I can't do that. And then I would ask you, to, well, well, what would happen? Well, if I give up my job, I'll, I'll, I'll need some more money. So? Well, then somebody could take my home from me. So? Well, then I, I might go hungry or I might have to move. So, and, and, and then what? Well, I could die. Okay. Then what? Because we're all dying, right? Like none of us gets out of here alive. And then what? Is there resurrection or not? Jesus said, before long, you'll not see me anymore. This is before his crucifixion, before his resurrection. He calls a shot here. He says, before long, you won't see me, but then you'll see me. Because I live, you also will live. Friends, we, um, death has lost its sting. We get to go back to fellowship with the God who made us. We get to go back to that garden sort of living, walking and talking with the Lord. Um, if you're a believer, are you living a life that is hard, makes it hard for unbelievers around you to disagree with the resurrection? It ought to be so. It ought to be clear that people go, I I don't believe in Jesus. You could say, I talked to him this morning. He talked to me. I know that he is living. I don't care what you say. I don't have to win an argument with you. I, I know he's alive. I don't know which rock has a hole in it that he's not in, but I know that there's a heart that he is within. If you're here this morning and you don't yet know him, I would invite you to investigate the evidence that there is an empty tomb. More than that, I would invite you to investigate, and not just in an hour-long service with a wrinkle-headed preacher, but to really consider, is he alive today? What's 
Where's the evidence? Where should you put your faith? We're going to sing this morning about the transformative power of the resurrection. Would you stand with me? Let's pray as the worship team comes so we can leave this place in singing. Enjoy. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we, we do have a reliable testimony there, but Father, you're still speaking today. You're still calling people by name. Maybe even in this hour, not from my voice, but from a louder voice, you have spoken to a heart and you have said, I am alive. Many of us know that's true. Lord, it's, it's, it's your desire that all would believe and come to a saving knowledge of the truth. So Father, I just pray that belief would permeate this room today, not because of, uh, of any sort of emotional choice, but because of, a, because of a new birth that is happening and unexplainable and spiritual and, and, and has to be experienced. And so, Father, I pray that you'd bless these um, probably sometimes not super organized words with, with the evidence of your Holy Spirit in this hour. And, Father, that you'd confirm it tonight as we would lay on our beds, that we would remember this Easter that we would experience this Easter, the, the risen Savior, that we would commit ourselves this year to walk with you, to know your power, to see it redeem suffering, and, and Father, shape us, conform us to be like Christ, who redefined power, redefined goodness, and uh, gave us, it didn't redefine it, but just showed us the truth from our lives. So, Father, speak your truth over us today. May we sing your truth and, and leave with it in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray.